This is a Federal News Network podcast. While Congress debates the virtues of the Biden administration's blowout budget proposal for 2022, contractors should be adjusting their approaches to their federal customers. Here with some of the dynamics now at work, federal sales and marketing consultant Larry Allen. And Larry, you're writing this week that besides the big GWACs, which come and go, and certain vehicles do come and go, that contractors need to look at the alternatives and always be dynamic here. So what's your best advice for the year ahead? Tom, my best advice for service contractors especially is to consider some new ways of reaching out to your federal customer that you don't use now. Over the last 15 to 25 years, industry and government have placed an increased importance on government-wide acquisition contracts, GWACs. They're fast, at least uh, do task orders through, streamline competition, but you know, GWACs are starting to have some issues. On one hand, it takes a really long time to put a GWAC in place. On another, you can get some protests all along the way that further delays the process. So what I'm recommending that companies do is to consider other ways of doing business in case you find that the favorite GWAC that you want to use or a new GWAC you want to use doesn't really meet your customer's need. Yes, and that's a good point because take a look at CIOSP4. How long was that in gestation right. just to get the solicitation out? And then Lord knows how long until they get through the protests and there's actually an open marketplace there. That's right. So it'll take a little while. And I think we probably still won't see any CIOSP4 business we certainly won't see any during this fiscal year, Tom. So sometime in FY22 will be when we start to see business, maybe. But in the meantime, business has to be transacted. So what are you looking at as a contractor? Well, I've got three ideas for companies. One is to remember streamlined acquisition methods like basic ordering agreements. Now, not every agency uses these, but a lot of offices in the Department of Defense do use basic ordering agreements or BOAs. They're agreements that talk about technical specifications and overall capabilities of a contractor without talking about pricing until you get to the task order level. So that's a pretty streamlined way to put a contract in place. In fact, if the scope of your BOA matches or comes close to matching the scope of an existing GWAC contract, you could just take the terms and conditions and proof of capabilities and transfer it over and then negotiate pricing on your BOA when you need to. So I think that's something that industry ought to look into further, promote that with not just agencies that use it now, but with other agencies that might be able to use that streamlined acquisition method. And And then there's the uh, single agency contract. Single agency contract, Tom, both you and I, for good or for ill, remember federal landscape in the time before GWACs, <laughs> you know, Jurassic Park, contract dinosaurs roamed the tundra. And what agencies used to buy services then were single agency service contracts. And while those can certainly increase overhead for government customer and government contractor, they are a way to make sure you get specifically defined solutions that your agency or office needs. You don't have to try to fit something that may not be flexible enough to meet your need into your requirement. You know, you set the contract up with the purpose of meeting that requirement. And 
history has shown that some agencies actually prefer to buy services that way. It's not like single agency contracts have stopped in an era of GWACs. It's just that they're not as prevalent as they used to be. I think they might come back a little bit more as agencies feel like doing their own thing. And just because they might be a little bit more costly, that hasn't been a showstopper in the past, Tom, and I'm not sure that it would be now. We're speaking with Larry Allen, federal sales and marketing consultant and president of Allen Federal Business Partners. And then there is the durable, seemingly unconquerable GSA multiple award schedule. Right. We keep coming back to the schedule for a couple of reasons, Tom. One is that over time, the GSA schedule has proven to be a more popular venue than many GWAC contracts, even ones that were highly touted and advertised as kind of schedule killers, if you will, only to find that the flexibility of the schedule, the known quantity that schedule contracts represent, really carried the day for many transactions. In the services realm, while customers can't do cost plus task orders via the schedules program, they can do firm fixed price and time material labor hour. And Tom, I think people need to remember that firm fixed price is the government's preferred way to acquire services and the schedule definitely has that one covered. You don't have to wait for the contract to be negotiated, it's already in place. GSA has gone through streamlining to make the program even more flexible than it has been before. There are proven contractors on that program that can meet your need and a low contract access fee. So there's a lot there, I think, to say if the GWAC that you thought was going to be your promised land doesn't end up being so, or maybe your favorite contract winds down and there doesn't seem to be a good alternative follow-on for it, the schedule Basic ordering agreements or single agency agreements may be some things that contractors want to explore with their customers a little bit more. And I also wanted to ask you about the possible fallouts from this sudden increase in small business emphasis that the Biden administration is talking about. 50% more of federal contracting than goes to small business now should, they're saying, and that could change the landscape somewhat also. Tom, I think it's going to change the landscape in ways that are obvious and not obvious. I mean, the obvious way is if the administration is successful and it does end up awarding significantly more contracts to small disadvantaged businesses, that certainly is going to reallocate who wins contract awards at the prime contractor level. But we're already seeing, Tom, some I'm not sure if they're unintended consequences, but they're inevitable consequences of this policy. And that is, I'm hearing a lot from companies who are talking to their government contacts saying, hey, you don't need to come see us. You're not a small disadvantaged business. All we're going to be talking to now moving forward are small disadvantaged businesses. Large businesses aren't going to get any time to talk. Well, that's a potential issue. When you reduce opportunities for government industry communication, there's a track record, Tom, a track record that acquisitions begin to be less well-defined, that the government increases the scope of a project simply because it doesn't know enough to create a tightly focused project. It lengthens the procurement lead time. It can lead to more protests because people are are unsure about what the government's really going after. 
And we've seen this happen. That's one of the reasons why we have policies and practices in place now that promote industry government conversations. And that works well for everybody. You can't expect a government contracting officer to be an expert in countless areas of things that they have to acquire. They buy professional services in the morning. They may buy munitions in the afternoon and then may do a logistics contract in the afternoon. You know, that is a lot of different areas that they have to deal with and they can't be experts in every one. They kind of need that industry input. And if they're starting to talk only to a certain segment of contractors, I think they're going to lose out on expertise. I think they're going to lose out on good ideas and a sense of really what the state of the market is for best solutions and how to acquire them. There probably will be some other fallouts, Tom, but one of the things that we're already seeing is this hit to industry government communications. And I've been in this business long enough to know that anytime that takes a hit, you can expect the acquisition system to not work as efficiently as it could. Larry Allen is president of Allen Federal Business Partners. Thanks so much. Tom, thank you very much. And I wish your listeners happy selling. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on your schedule. Subscribe at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Rick Wade, Senior Vice President of Strategic Alliances and Outreach at the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. Previously, Rick was a Senior Advisor and Deputy Chief of Staff to Secretary of Commerce Gary Locke. He worked closely with the Obama administration, and he also worked with Commerce's Economic Development Administration to foster regional economic development in distressed areas and with the Minority Business Development Agency to create jobs through the growth of minority-owned businesses. He received a BS from the University of South Carolina and an MPA from Harvard University. Rick, welcome, and thanks so much for joining me. And thank you so much for having me. Look forward to the conversation. Rick, in today's environment, leaders have had to adapt and find new ways to lead with transparency and empathy. But can you tell us a bit about how you've adapted your leadership style? You know, this past year has clearly uh, presented some unique challenges that uh, certainly me uh, or I as a leader uh, have had to adapt. Uh, You think about a pandemic, for example, that has placed us in probably one of the most challenging circumstances is sort of lead in a virtual world now. I've not been in my office uh, for nearly a year. And and the idea that we don't have the human interaction, uh, which I think is very important when you think about the empathy that is a a very important value of leadership. So trying to lead from a virtual uh, environment chain and be empathetic and be sensitive to the needs of others has presented terribly difficult challenge. One of the other defining uh, moments, I think, in our time uh, that has dictated uh, a change in leadership, if you will, uh, was the murder of George Floyd. I think it created a whole different consciousness uh, in America and certainly within me uh, about the importance of being empathetic uh, in, uh, in, in the way I lead, to be inclusive, uh, to, be, uh, uh, to, to lead in a way uh, in which you're very sensitive to the impact of your decisions. Uh, on those, on others uh, across our community. So it certainly has been a challenging year uh, to adapt, uh, but I'm happy to say that uh, I'm still here and we're moving forward. Perfect. 
Throughout your career, what have been some pivotal moments or lessons learned that have shaped the leader that you are today? You know, there have been so many moments, Shane. I, you know, I grew up in rural South Carolina. Uh, quite honestly, at a time when I, I mean, I saw what legal segregation was. I mean, I, I wasn't able to go to an integrated school until middle school, being bused across town. And I remember, as strangely as it may sound, uh, in 1979, I wanted to run for vice president of my student body at Lancaster High School, a little school. And I had to run on the ballot as vice president black, literally. And there was another candidate who ran as vice president white. And the irony of that story uh, is that the following year, I ran for president and I won overwhelmingly. That was a lesson for me in leadership. And, and the lesson there was, you know, perseverance, uh, have the tenacity, uh, have a vision and overcoming barriers. And, and I didn't let the idea uh, that the construct that I had to run as vice president uh, 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 deter me from reaching my bigger dream which was to represent students. So I know that's a, that, that perhaps may be a small example of leadership, but it really did define how I view myself, uh, the vision that I have, uh, my willingness to, to fight for change. And that was, that was the beginning. I think that's at the foundation of how I lead. And there've been so many other moments. Uh, one of the most defining moments for me personally was uh, the, the, the massacre at Mother Emanuel Church in Charleston, South Carolina, a very close friend of mine, Senator Reverend Clemente Pinckney, who lost his life. And, and it conjured up, again, these issues of how deep the divide in terms of race in America is. And, but it also inspired me to lead even more and to lead harder and to lead with diligence and vigilance uh, to help close that divide. So there have been so many defining moments uh, uh, in my career. I, I will tell you, even uh, after the murder of George Floyd and my role at the U.S. Cha Chamber of Commerce uh, to galvanize the business community, uh, inspired by that tragedy. And now we have a whole broad, historic sweeping, what we call equality of opportunity initiative that I'm leading, that I, that, that I was inspired to develop. And we're bringing together corporations from across America to address what we call equality of opportunity. So my point there, I think, with all of these moments, they've all been pivotal moments at different parts of my life, my career, my journey. And I've seized those moments to make the best uh, of, of them, of, of what I could. That's fantastic. It's a great, great answer. Many stories. Thank you very much for sharing that. Um, who is the most impactful leader in your life? And what quality... Did you admire about them? You know, I, again, I can't say that I had, I had just one, but I would tell you the one person who, uh, who had, whose historical leadership has inspired me the most, and that is the leadership of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. And there's so many attributes there that are consistent with my values, but the one, the one part of his leadership was vision. And I, I mean, the idea that you can have a dream which we often define and think of his big I have a dream speech. But I think that's a really important attribute of leadership, Shane, that you can sort of see beyond the challenges of today and see a better future for people and for yourself. So the, the idea that leaders have vision uh, despite the challenges is seeing a forest despite the trees. It's seeing an opportunity despite the barriers. 
And that that attribute, I think, is one that that I embody. I mean, I, I I'm very optimistic, uh, despite the challenges, despite the circumstances. So the whole notion of vision uh, was a very important attribute that I I learned and that I've tried to emulate from the leadership of Dr. King. Wow, fantastic. And as someone who's got an extensive background of federal service uh, and out of federal service, what advice would you give to feds looking to develop leadership skills? And, and you can talk about mid-career, senior career, early career. Um, what comes to mind there? Yeah, listen, I mean, you're aware that I had the, the, the fortunate opportunity. We didn't have a secretary of commerce when uh, President Obama, uh, of course, I served as one of his senior advisors, was inaugurated. And the president asked me to go to the Department of Commerce to hold the fort down. And that was one of the most exciting experiences in my entire career, not just for the title and, and, the, and the wonderful experiences, but I understood the value of federal employees. And, and folks forget sometimes, Shane, that we political appointees, we come and go. But the folks who, who are grinding every day, who are at their desk, no matter rain, sleet or snow, uh, who bring innovations, but yet don't don't get the credit for it because the political appointees get all the credit. I think I learned something about the humility of, of being a leader. Uh, and and, and, and I, I, I built so many friends who were federal employees, not just at the manager level, but the frontline workers, the administrative assistants. And I was very deliberate. I mean, one of the things that I was most proud of, strangely enough, I was that guy, even though I was senior advisor to the Secretary of Commerce, and I, I, my office was on the floor, the top floor. We call it the blue carpet, Shane. But I made a deliberate point to go eat in the cafeteria every day, as many days as I could, just to sit down and talk with employees. And I grew from that. And, and, and there were so many times where I took their ideas back to the blue carpet and said, and I told the Secretary Locke, you got to go down and sit down and talk with regular, common, everyday folks. They're in the cafeteria, not in the dining room on the blue carpet. And so he started doing that. So the, the point is, I think for me, the advice that I would give is to continue to do the hard work. I do think that we should do a better job in government in providing the kind of admiration for those workers as we do the high level appointees. And, and that may be something that, uh, that I'm looking to work on myself uh, to help continue to advocate for our federal employees. Uh, they, they, those are the hard workers. That's where the work gets done. And, uh, and, and, and so I think that's a lesson for me, if there was some advice and counsel I could give, is to continue to do your work, but, but we have to do our work as leaders of these agencies to create ladders uh, of success and, and, and reward and admiration for the hard work that they do. Rick, thank you very much. You've inspired me. These are tremendous insights and stories. Uh, I love every single one of them. You've got a fascinating journey in leadership yourself. And thank you very much for sharing that with us today. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Thank you. I'm Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Thank you for listening to today's Lessons in Leadership podcast. And until we see you next time, take good care. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.